welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. As a collective, I see much in the male tribe to be optimistic about. Men from all walks of life seem to be ready for new tools and new narratives. Men are tired of the worn-out old stories about who we are and what we are capable or incapable of doing. I feel a little sheepish about writing and talking about myth and what it means for us. I don't feel qualified. After all, Joseph Campbell laid it all out for us. But if I have learned anything from my studies, it's that myths are living stories. They demand our active participation to keep the transformative power in them. They are our partners through the ages and the epochs carrying wisdom and warnings and giving us a roadmap of the sometimes treacherous road that we face. Once we learn to read the signposts of myths, we can step out onto the faint trail with much more confidence, having a bit more of an inkling of what might await us. Myth also connects us to our ancestors near and far. This is important in a number of ways. For one, that perspective can inspire us. If my late grandparents and great-great-grandparents and my son's not-yet-born kids and grandkids are included in our mythic viewpoint, it starts to get interesting and personal in a very immediate way. You're not just playing for you, you're playing for everyone in your circle. We're all depending on you. By consciously living a mythic life, you raise your hand to be counted. No matter where consciousness is taking us, no matter what our great human story has in store for us, by setting your life in mythic terms, you state to unseen forces, higher beings, and allies, that are always helping us that you can count on me. I am paying attention. In our modern lifestyle, men can feel that life is reduced to making as good of a living as you can and be as good of a husband, partner, father you can be. It can feel a bit small for a man's spirit. I know it can for me. Myth helps with this by enlarging the story into more proper proportions. This approach always works, by the way, 100% of the time. If we are, as philosopher Charles Eisenstein says, in between stories, then what tools are at our disposal to fully arrive at the new story? In this changing narrative, we'll need a powerful, sturdy framework to keep us grounded, and it is here that myth is so valuable. In our search for our most courageous life, myths contain the instructions. They are built right into the story. The subconscious mind will pick up all the details and nuances. You don't necessarily have to be aware of all that, at least not at the beginning. In high-level modern myth-telling, like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or The Matrix, you start with an awareness of a battle between light and darkness. This is a meta-myth. But as you watch or read the story, all the fascinating teachings start to unfold in your awareness. The arrival of a mentor, the dark night of the soul, the ascent, etc., etc. And as you steep yourself into this more mythical way of seeing the world, the exact same thing starts to happen to you. You see your test, your fear, and your reluctance. You leave the well-trodden path to go find the faint trail. You experience the dark night of the soul and the arrival of the mentor. The hero's tale brings you into the action to share with you the transformative power of the myth. Men need inspiration and clarity, not to mention magic and mystery, to lift them. It is here on the mythic byways that myth can find inner sustenance and food for the soul. My guest today is a mentor and friend and has the distinction of being the very first guest on episode number one of Base Camp for Men. Now, that's how much I respect this man. John Wilson has staffed and led over 50 of the Mankind Project's New Warrior trainings. 
He recently finished his master's degree in social work in 2017 and works as a clinician in the mental health field. We got together to talk about men, myth, and the Holy Grail. Here is my interview with John Wilson. Okay, I'm here with John Wilson, friend and mentor John Wilson. John, welcome to Base Camp for Men. It's great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks, Tony. It's great to be back on the show. Yeah, this is like your this is your third time on. I believe it is. Yeah, you had you had uh, you were the you had the distinction of being guest number one in episode one. So for any of our listeners, uh, John was the first guest, and then I can't remember which episode it was. You were on with the Warrior Dogs for kind of a group session, but you were on for that. So this is your third time. So uh, yeah, it's awesome to talk to you. Uh, how you been doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm kind of making my way like everybody else right now. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody says that. Everybody's kind of like doing okay, considering, you know, it's like this kind of dot, dot, dot with everybody. So I wanted to check in with you. But uh, um, so we're talking all about myth. I thought of you, you know, I have as my tagline for the show, I have men, myth and the hero's journey. And I was looking at my episodes recently. I'm like, you're not talking a whole lot about myth, considering that's what your show's sort of about, or that's what the tagline's about. And I visited it more in season one. And so you and I had talked about, hey, you know, we both have this interest in myth and the Holy Grail. And I thought, what a great chance to bring John back and have a conversation. So I guess my first question is, how did you first get interested in myth? How, what were your kind of access points? Were you a kid? Were you a young adult? Like where, where did you first get kind of the myth bug or where did you first kind of go, huh? There's something to this. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you, Tony. First of all, I, I can't believe I was your first guest, and so I'm humbled and honored. And uh, yeah, so so for me, it was comic books. Ah, yeah. The doorway to the world of fantasy and myth. That that was my first introduction. You know, it started with well, with many comic books, but Thor in particular, because he was a god. He was the god of thunder. Yeah, uh, and not a man who you know got bit by a bug and got superpowers. And, you know, his father was the all-father Odin. And so I really started to love Norse mythology and I happened to come from a Norse background. So that fit. And and it grew from there to a love of Roman and Greek gods as well. Um, and so like, you know, really all mythology for me came from that world of comic books, although I didn't know it at that moment that I was going to fall in love with myth. Then came the movie Star Wars. Yep which, as we, you and I know, was inspired by Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, yep. which influenced George Lucas's vision for the movie. Yep. And Star Wars, the story of a boy who doesn't know who his parents are, is given a sword, lightsaber, by a magi, Obi-Wan slash Merlin, yep. and becomes a Jedi master slash king. You know, the boy hero, the boy who would be king, sounds a little like the Arthurian myth. and. Uh, you know, and then that's that's the myth I really gravitated to uh, for the for the next you know twenty five thirty years. It became the lens through which I really see the world, and then sprinkle in the Jungian archetypes that you know I later was introduced to when I was initiated in the Mankind Project, and that framework has really shaped uh, the way I see the world and how I use it to serve others. That's great. That's great. I mean, I, I, I never got into comic books. I wasn't a comic book kid. 
Um, I think for me, I mean, I arrived at Star Wars 2 as an early introduction to myth. I think for me, it was some of the athletic stories that I grew up with, like Muhammad Ali and stuff like that, that had seemed to have these mythic dimensions of the hero's journey, but then definitely was Star Wars. And then later on, it was, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings and the Matrix yep. and some of these other great myth making uh, tales that they, they've given us. Um, how is How has your work with the Mankind Project been tied to myth? Because there's definitely mythic dimensions on the Mankind Project's new warrior training without giving away too much. Sure. Uh, but the three-day training definitely feels steeped in this kind of initiatory uh, myth, right? And, and so how is that, how has myth sort of shaped your work that you do with them? Well, so, so we use myth on the weekend, as you said, and without getting into too much detail, um, that energy, that power of myth, that being transported to some otherworldly place where magical things can happen, you know, where transformation can truly occur. Yeah. And that's really what initiation is about, right? It's a moving from one state of being to another. Um, it's a new beginning. That's the definition of the word initiation. And so we don't experience that just in our everyday normal world. It might be happening there in some places, but we're not necessarily able to see it. Right. And so being in this different energy and space on a weekend, just being at the campsite sometimes takes on a mythical mm -hmm. sort of energy, right? Like yep. I'm, I'm a boy again and, and I'm here at this campground and Suddenly, I'm surrounded by these larger-than-life men who have something I want, kind of like our sports heroes or our superheroes, right? They, they, they're emblematic and holding some kind of power that I don't seem to have access to yet. Right. Yeah, that's great. It's a great way to describe it. Um, and you and I talked about we both had this kind of thing for the Holy Grail, the Arthurian myth. Um, you and I have spoken, uh, you know, offline on a number of occasions. And, you know, my, my first, like we had just talked about how we got introduced to myth. And for me, you know, the, the monomyth of the hero's journey, it was, it's an easy thing to understand because it's in so many of our stories. Mm -hmm. um, and you can easily sort of make it very personal. Um, but the Holy Grail has got... There's something else about it. It's not just a hero's journey. Um, and so we're going to unpack a little bit about what is some of the big pieces of the myth of the Holy Grail. But to start off with, how is it relevant for today's men or today's seekers? So let me just start by saying, in my humble opinion, it is the myth, mm. right? It is a myth that transcends time, television, books, radio, think about how much has been written about the Holy Grail Yep. and going all the way back, you know, biblically and, and, you know, religion. I mean, it's infused itself into every area of life, ancient life to the modern technology age. Yep. We still see it all around us. And there's still some fascination, like the Grail is going to give me some answers that I can't attain without it some wisdom, some healing, some finding of my true passion and purpose and my higher self. Yep. Right. And there's just, there's just so much to this myth. I mean, I could literally talk about this myth for days. Well, Joseph Campbell also agreed with you. He said it is the myth, right? I mean, he talked about the hero's journey, but he was really focused on the Holy Grail, the Arthurian myth. He was like, I mean, he thought so highly of it and thought it has the answers to whatever ails you if you just unpack it properly, right? 
Exactly. Um, and, and there's a couple, I mean, there's so many characters in, in the tale. The two I want to just kind of talk about a bit today, one is the Fisher King, and the other one is the hero of the story, Parsifal. And what is, who is the Fisher King? What does he represent? Specifically for men, the Fisher mm-hmm. King, who is he? Who is he to you or who has he been for you? Um, and why is it important for men to understand uh, the Fisher King in this tale? Yeah, so you know, I'll say as a as a mental health practitioner, I see the Fisher King all around me mm-hmm. every day. Right, the Fisher King represents the the common man, the wounded man, and aren't we all wounded in some way? Yeah, you know whether we're really able to acknowledge it or not, and the, and we're actually connected through that woundedness. And in fact, many wounds we carry are so common, we don't even recognize them in others unless we can recognize it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, like for me, my personal Fisher King wound is my, my original wound is the abandoned little boy. Right. And then who grew up to become the addict alcoholic. Right. And as we look at society today, that's a rampant common wound. Yeah. Right. But what but but the addict alcoholic is really hiding something else, the deeper wound, right? Like people are trying to medicate their pain. Yeah. Because of that, there's a deeper wound there. And I mean, I know I was, and I know I'm not alone. Yeah. Um, and so there comes that circle of connectedness again. If I can see my woundedness, then hopefully I can help you see yours. Mm-hmm. And that's the story of the Fisher King, right? He's wounded in his leg, in his area that's his generativity. And supposedly we're all walking around with that similar wound as men. And because we all have the same wound, we don't always see it with each other. Right. And if we could, wouldn't we act with a little more kindness, Mm -hmm. a little more compassion for each other? So that's the sort of the Fisher King for me, is being able to identify that we're all wounded in some way. I, I feel like I didn't really become aware of my own wound as a man until I arrived on the Mankind's Weekend, the Mankind Project's Weekend. I didn't realize that there I was carrying this sense of not belonging in the tribe of men that I hadn't arrived yet, right? I sure. didn't really, I was vaguely aware of it because I'd read Iron John and Sam Keen and stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't really, I didn't really get that it was common and that I had a wound that was, that was, uh, shared, right? right? The, the woundedness was the shared part. It might've been some personal stuff that was unique to me, but they were all patterns that, that the whole group shares. Right. And that's, that right. was, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, that, that I was, that I was in a shared, uh, uh, space with men that way. Right. Well, I think everybody thinks their wound is unique. Right. Yeah. And I have to hide it. And I have to hide it from you. I, because that part of me is not attractive or that part of me, I don't want you to know about cause you'll think less of me. Right. You'll judge me. You'll judge me and treat me differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was just a little ahead of the curve based on my personal background. I was already sort of seeking at an earlier age, but, mm-hmm. but like you, I really found that commonality on the mankind weekend. Yeah. And then, and then Parsifal, here is, and I'll, I'll let you speak a little bit about who Parsifal is or, or what he represents, but he's the, 
he's the hero of the story who uh, who can save the wounded king by asking a question, right? Mm-hmm. And he the 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 king, the Fisher King, is surrounded by these completely courageous, brave knights, but they're not the ones that hold the key. It's this sort of you know, this red, I don't want to say redneck, but it's just this, you know, this, this country bumpkin who wants to be a knight who ends up mm-hmm. being the centerpiece of the story. Um, and so what does that say about us that here we are, the wounded king has all these exemplary, courageous men of high honor, but that's not the part that's going to save his wound. Right. Cause we, cause what it says is we think it's the expert who knows all and, and is going to save us. Yeah. And in fact, you know, Parsival, if you break down the name, means pure fool. Mm-hmm. And he's the innocent one, the unknowing, sort of ignorant of how the world works and how things really get done, mm-hmm. right? And he doesn't really, like you said, he's kind of a country bumpkin. You know, yeah. he, I mean, he lived in the woods with his mother for yeah. until he was an adult. And then one day he saw some knights ride by and it was time for him to, to leave the woods and enter the world. Yeah. And so the first thing he saw is a bunch of knights. I want to be one of those. Right. But he doesn't know anything about what it takes to be a knight. Yeah. Right. And so he sort of stumbles into knighthood, really. And and so he's able to maintain that innocence. He doesn't become the know-it-all or the expert or I got this or I'm the super bravest, courageous, best one of us. Yeah. Right. And so by maintaining that, those those characteristics of humility and innocent and sort of a sweetness, yeah. he is the one yeah. who can reclaim the grail, who knows how to answer or ask the question when his time, you know, but he also fails the first time. He does. Yeah. yeah. Right. So he's kind of this man boy. Right. And, and that's another part of his role. He's a man boy, mm-hmm. right? He hasn't fully shed the umbilical cord from his mother. And, you know, that's partly on her too. We could go into that, you know, Robert Johnson's written a fantastic book called he using the Percival myth that analyzes this, you know, very deeply, but you know, so, so this sort of man boy childness nature of his um, also leads him astray at times. You know, so the first time he approaches the Grail, he, he remembers his mother's words saying, "Don't ask too many questions." Right. You know, keep your mouth shut. Don't look like a fool. He's still listening to mom, right? Yes. Right. So he doesn't ask the question, and then he doesn't get the Grail, and now it's you know it takes him several more years. Right. Right. To, to finally travel far enough and, and gain a little bit of wisdom, but not to lose his purity and his innocence. Well, and, and I've, heard, I've heard it said two different ways. I don't, was curious to ask you about this. I've heard the question that he asked the king. I've heard it s- spoken two ways. I think even Joseph Campbell said it two ways. One was that, uh, my king, what ails thee? Right. And the other was, um, for whom does the grail serve? Right. And so they're, they're two different questions and they have two different sort of, uh, they unfold in the, in your consciousness in different ways. Um, which one did you gravitate towards or which one do you feel like has the most oomph for it? You know? So, so for me, it's, you know, who does the grail serve for whom does the grail serve? Yeah. Right. Because it's, to me, it's kind of like my life is about being of service. Yep. Yep. Right. And, and I found myself and my purpose through service to others. So that question really speaks because it can remind me today, like, who am I serving? 
Yeah. You know, am I just being this selfish, like serving myself or am I remembering that I have a mission and a purpose beyond myself to serve yeah. the world, to serve other people? Yeah, me too. I, I, I gravitate towards it. It feels like that question has more mythic dimensions or has more layers to it. And it just feels more uplifting to me. Um, so I wanted to ask you too, John, that, um, you know, there's a lot of attributes that men can develop over time in themselves. You know, you can develop loving kindness and open heart. You can develop integrity, vision for the world. Like you said, a mission. Um, why is courage so important for men to develop? Well, I think, I mean, without courage, we as a species would not accomplish anything, right? We wouldn't take risks. We wouldn't go on our adventures. Yeah. We wouldn't seek the grail. Yeah. We wouldn't dive into the myth, right? We would just sit where we are and kind of do nothing or do what just comes along. Right. You know, um, you know, would we still be here struggling to make society and the world a better place without courage? Yeah. You know, you know, to speak and live your truth. That's, that's it. Right. Yep. That takes courage. That does take courage. Especially today. Yep. No matter what your truth is. Yep. Yeah, it's a, uh, I find myself speaking about developing courage a lot in the groups that I lead. And sometimes I feel like I have to remind the men how courageous they are, how, how courageous yeah. they've been. I think a lot of people are used to sort of framing their lives as being very ordinary and they can mm -hmm. really skip over, you know, I have men that I know that have, that have dealt with their addictions, that have put their marriages back together and restored integrity, who face themselves face their fears. And yet when you talk to them, they, you still get a sense that they think that they're not particularly courageous. And so part of, I think sure. my service to men is to remind them how courageous they are, you know? And, um, and I feel like the, the pe that people, us as a tribe, we're a very courageous tribe of people, but we often get told that, you know, by mainstream media, or we just get lazy habits where we don't speak about our, you know, about our hero's journey in a way that resonates with people or, you know, but so part of what I do, and I know you do this with your trainings too, is, is just to remind men that they're gloriously courageous on a hero's journey. I think if that's the only thing I did, I would have fulfilled a mission, a very important mission for myself. So. Absolutely. And, and that's the other danger of also of navel gazing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a little too much looking at the wound, right? <laughs> Trying to yeah. figure out what's wrong with me and not enough of kind of seeing where I've been, where I've come from and how I'm still moving ahead in my life. And how I can serve, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like stop thinking all about yourself. Right. Look out there, what needs to happen? You know, what, what can you provide? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we just did an episode a couple episodes ago titled The Measure of Men. Um, and we sort of unpacked how we are measured as men in our society. We've been measured by the money that we make, the status, uh, how we look. Um, there's a bunch of ways that we're measured. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, what would be some better ways to measure men moving forward instead of those things, right? Right. Um, not bigger, faster, stronger, harder, right? Yeah. Um, you know, to me, it, it takes a strong man to live with an open, gentle, loving heart. Mm, I love it. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, how a man treats others around him and strangers as well. Yeah. Um, is he generous? You know, is he of service like we talked about? And, you know, the, 
the greatest human trait, in my opinion, is humility, being right-sized, knowing who you are. Yeah. You know, I'm not the greatest this or that, and I'm not the lowest either. Yeah. You know, and I carry myself in a humble manner. That's beautiful. I, I remember uh, coming across, there was a book about the, I'm going to get this wrong, but there was the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. Yep. And they were talking about everything in their culture, not just the rugby team, but the men in that culture. Humility is at the top. Like yeah. if you don't develop humility, you you don't measure up as a man in that culture. Like you have to be humbled at the mystery, humbled in service to the greater good and to women and children and your fellow man. And I remember, and these guys are some of the biggest, toughest guys you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are like their NFL players, essentially. And then rather than be macho, I'm not saying all our NFL players are macho loudmouths, big egos, because there's some really beautiful men that play in the league. But our culture is kind of like glorifies the superstar, you know, talking. And they're the exact opposite, soft-spoken. Um helping each other, like serving. I think I remember saying, seeing, you know, that they've like won the world championship a bunch of times and they all, when they arrive, they all grab a broom and start like sweeping their, their locker rooms and stuff like that. You know? And I'm like, wow. Like a reminder of where they come from too. Right. Yeah. Humility too, is not to forget, you know, the events that have shaped your life and the places you've come from just because you've arrived at some you know, better destination with money or power or status, like you said. Yeah. But to remember, we all have basic beginnings. Yeah. Most of us. Absolutely. You know, and humble roots, hopefully. And I, I transpire to be more humble, right? Yeah. I have to, it's a struggle for me sometimes. I can get, I, I feel like I've right-sized the ego in certain ways, but I still carry a little bit of the, you know, I'm, I've, I've got spiritual insights and that must mean something rather than, I, I still think I could double down on learning better humility and that would serve me really well the next, hopefully, you know, 30 years or whatever. Back to the cushion, bad one. Back to the cushion. Absolutely. How, John, what's, what's one way, like, what's one way men can pull I don't know. I want to say like really use myth in their everyday lives. You know, is it, is it, is it, is it meditation? Is it like getting, getting their noses into these great Joseph Campbell books? I would think it's find, you know, find the avenue that works for you. Like, like you mentioned other movies too, like the matrix. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that might speak to a slightly younger generation than you and I, mm -hmm. but, you know, star Wars was that, you know, that movie for us first, you know, first and foremost, yep. um, you know, yeah. Read some of those really great books about going off on the hero's journey and, mm -hmm. and, and discovering mythology. And, you know, to me, mythology is ancient psychology, Yep. right? When there was no TV, cell phones, <laughs> smartphones, you know, ready access and everything was spoken and passed on by word of mouth. So they told stories to learn lessons, you know, Icarus, don't fly too close to the sun or you'll get burned. Right. Right. It's a story of humility. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was a way to give a visual representation to it and a story that could kind of stick with you. So, yeah, storytelling. It's a lost art, but we also have advanced it through movies and things like that where we can tell the story so creatively. Absolutely. So I would suggest 
find that story that really speaks to you like that you see yourself in the hero or the protagonist, right? Then you'll be able to identify, well, what is it about him? What is he seeking? What is his role? What is his purpose? And maybe that helps me move towards mine. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember talking to Mark Jackson. He's a mutual friend of ours. Uh, when I first met him and he said, yeah, I've read um, Lord of the Rings, the complete volume every year for like 40, <laughs> 40 years or something. I go, well, why, why do you still read it every year? And he said, I still get things out of it that I didn't get the first 39 yeah. times. Like he's right. like, he's like, it's so, it's such a rich myth that believe it or not, it reads new every time I read it. And I yeah. think that's really the power of myth is that it doesn't, it's not like, oh, I know what that story is about the myth will be different because you're different every time you come into contact with it. So it will resonate. And maybe like sure. a, a character that was periphery, the first 10 times you read it on the 11th time, suddenly that character becomes front and center as you've changed. And that part of your, your masculinity or your humanity is suddenly um, facing a test that that character is facing. It's totally fascinating. Yeah. And it might be speaking to a part of your psyche that is now alive and awake. Yeah. It wasn't that awake before, right? Because right? it's, it's about our inner psyche and our inner mind and world represented through words and visions and pictures to us, yeah. right? And so, right, that peripheral character that, you know, my mind once went, oh, he doesn't really mean much. Suddenly, you know, 20 years later, wait a minute. Oh my gosh, what he's doing right now or what he's going through is what I'm going through. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. What's, what's, uh, what's something that scares you right now that's going on? And then also what's something that's exciting to you right now? Sure. Given the times we're in. Well, I'll give you a couple of things. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'll give you two things that kind of scare me. Cause one thing that scares me is, you know, am I raising my son to be a good man, mm -hmm. to be the best version of himself? Right. And he's going through that, you know, early adolescent, you know, or prepubescent, whatever, 11 years old stages where, yep, yep. you know, and it's like, oh gosh, he's a little, you know what, sometimes. And, you Absolutely. know, like, I can't see that man that I want him to become right now. And yet that will unfold. And that's my deepest wish and desire as a father is to raise a good son. Yep. Right. And then that does transcend into the society right now. Um, what scares me is the lack of kindness towards each other. Yep. There's just a lack of, you know, kindness. Yeah, I hear you. And and it's and it makes me sad. I and mean, I'm not ashamed to say it makes me very sad. Absolutely. But on the flip side, um, the thing that I am excited about is is this next act of my life. Mm -hmm. um, having turned fifty last year, so fifty one now, I feel like I've entered the third act. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm really sort of developing this idea of like my first act was, you know, if every act is 20 to 25 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, it's like, you know, my first 23 years was about being sort of lost and asking questions and, you know, trying to find all these things to give me answers, searching for the grail, so to speak, through drugs, alcohol. Or Parsifal. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, and then at 23, coming into, you know, getting sober. Mm -hmm. And now, and then it became 20 plus years of kind of learning tools and ga gathering wisdom and knowledge to become a healthier human being, right? And getting educated, right? And learning to meditate and going to the Mankind Project, doing my weekend, doing my inner work, 
And now at 50, you know, or 51, it feels like, you know, that third act is kind of like the fall, right? The time of harvest, all that we've planted in the last act and see what, what fruit is born from that. And that's what I get to pass on, hopefully, as my legacy in this life. That's beautiful. I hope I didn't do all this work for nothing. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Did you have the experience when you got sober? Um, I, I, When I got sober, I remember feeling, I felt, A, I felt way better. But also, I felt this sense of urgency to get, you know, I don't want to say get going. But I, all of a sudden, I was like, there was a lot of writing I wanted to do. There was a lot of ideas. I felt like the alcohol was keeping me stuck that I had passed these chapters that maybe would have been better used by producing, you know, books and articles and podcasts. Sure. And when I got sober, I got this sense of like, you got to get going, dude. You, 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 yep. you drank a long time. It's time to sober up and, and, and serve, you know? And so right. I, it's lessened a little bit now. I've been sober for whatever it's been seven and a half years or whatever. So um, I don't know if that was the same with you or, or it, you just felt great and, and hit the ground running. I don't know. In fact, it was very different because I, you know, I got sober at a very young age. Ah. And so I had to, you know, like I grew up in sobriety and in this work and in, in the mankind project and learning from all these, you know, more, what I thought were more powerful, wiser people and men. So for me, it was like, I still felt less than, for a long time. I just wasn't drinking. Because you were so young, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I didn't I, I didn't measure up to somebody with five years or a man of 35 who was successful, right? Like, so it was always yeah. this sort of feeling like I'm always behind everyone. Right. But what I can realize now is I spent a lot of years gathering all that information and planting those seeds. And now I've got this wonderful garden to harvest. Absolutely. Are we going to be doing uh, in-person MKP trainings in 2021? Is that the plan? Um, the hope is towards the end of 2021. Um, that's the hope, you know, yep. maybe somewhere in the late summer, early fall, yep. late fall. Um, but yeah, there is nothing set in stone at this point. And okay. so, yeah, the leader in me is kind of chomping at the bit to, to get back out there. I didn't realize well, how much I missed the weekends until they're taken away. Absolutely. Well, and I have, I have like five men that want to go through out here. So once they open that up, I'm going to have to coordinate with you and try to get you out here to, to co-lead uh, the one we're going to do out here. That would be fantastic to have you out here for it. I'd love to, cause I don't staff that much and mm -hmm. it would mean a lot to me to be on a, on a staff with you. I think it would just, it would make it extra special. Yeah, I haven't I haven't let out in your neck of the woods in in almost ten years, and the last time I was supposed to come that out there was Superstorm Sandy here on the east. Yeah, so I never got to make it out there. Let's make that happen as soon as we can. Awesome, awesome, John. Thanks so much for coming on Basecamp for Men. It's always great to talk to you. Um, it's just super great to hear your insight and wisdom. Come back again anytime. We'll probably have you back on maybe next year. We'll have stuff to talk about and new insights to unpack, but thanks again for coming on. And it's great to hear your voice. Likewise, Tony, my pleasure. Um, you can have me on anytime. You just pick up the phone, shoot me an email and you know, I'll be there. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed our time with John. If the Grail myth is something that interests you, there's the classic Parsifal by Wolfram von Eschenbach, which is considered the classic. Joseph Campbell has Romance of the Grail, and you can't go wrong with him. 
And a lesser known book that I just love about the grail is called Speech of the Grail by Linda Sussman. I highly recommend this book. It shows the grail legend in a whole new light and one that I think is particularly relevant in today's world. That's our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men. 